hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. My name is Brooke McCallery. And my name is Ben McCallery. Welcome to episode six of this wonderful season we're living in right now. In this episode, you speak to another return guest. Yes, I do actually. It is the delightful Anita Van Dyke. So last time I spoke to Anita was 2018 when she had just brought out a book called A Zero Waste Life. So we spoke a lot about uh, the zero waste lifestyle and how her take on it felt far less aggressive, I guess. What you, like Aggressive is the wrong word. Perfectionist. Yes. Yeah. You know, a, a big part of her approach to zero waste was also not wasting time, you know, your time as a resource. So that was a really good chat where we dug into, uh, you know, a realistic way of starting to shift towards zero waste or even low waste living. Mm, mm. And in this conversation, I guess we, we kind of double back in on the idea of uh, perfectionism in zero waste living and the pressure and the tension of all of that. And have a really honest conversation about what it looks like to balance motherhood. So since we last spoke, uh, Anita has had a child. So she's got a two and a half year old daughter now. Mm -hmm. And she was studying medicine when she and I spoke, when she was also a literal rocket scientist. This is what I cannot get over. She was a rocket scientist in 2018 and now... Four years, three and a half, four years later, she is a... She's a junior doctor. She's a doctor. Yep. So, and she, and I talked She's a rocket that. doctor. She's a doctor. Sorry. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. Welcome to my brain. Yeah. So, but I mean, Anita is obviously kicking all kinds of goals and like that... That comes with, like, just talking about that, you're like, whoa, what a, you know, what an amazing, high-achieving mm. woman. She's, at the same time, also a wonderful mother. She's a p- partner to her husband. She is daughter to her parents. She is running an, a massive Instagram profile that also highlights zero waste. She writes books. You know, so you you hear all that, and it's so impressive, but it's also like, whoa. Yeah, like how does that even work? Right. So we we talk about it. Yeah. You know, we have a really good conversation about the tension that comes with someone who operates in that space Mm. and, you know, how you create time for all of those various parts of life. And Anita has some really, really helpful practical insights into that. She must be a professional time bender. Let's be honest. Maybe. Like, it's just, it boggles the mind. I can't wait to listen to the episode and, yeah, just find out how she does it. There's lots of good knowledge nugs in this one. Ooh, Mm. there you go. Mm -hmm. Back with the knowledge nugs. Uh, We also talk about op shopping, secondhand shopping. Okay. Because Anita, if you follow her on social media, and she is Rocket Science um, on Instagram, she has a great wardrobe. Like, Mm. just always has really classic... Capture wardrobe. I don't know if it's a capture wardrobe. I've never actually looked inside her wardrobe. I'm just talking about the clothes she highlights. I don't know what a capture wardrobe is. <laughs> I just like it, like the sound of it. Like the words. You've op shopped recently too, I must admit. I have. You got you bought a couple of really nice op shop finds. I did. I feel like I just 
manifested exactly what I needed into that one option. Yeah, that shop. was weird. So I'm like, I need a pair of brown ankle boots and like a blazer and I'd love a pair of vintage 501s. And guess what I found? Ta-da! All of those things. Plus a leather jacket. Plus a leather jacket, yeah. So that was handy. Anyway. Did this in, this conversation inspire that op shop, no. op shop run? No, but it did inspire my questions about op shopping oh, yeah. because I feel like that was a good haul, you know, when, mm. I, when I got those things a few weeks ago. Uh, and that doesn't normally happen. Mm. So I was curious about someone who has all of these moving parts in her life. How do you find time to go secondhand shopping? Yeah. When secondhand shopping takes time. Takes time. I'm hopeless at it. I If I buy something, I bring it home and... It's three sizes too small for me <laughs> all the time. I've got a wonderful selection of crop tops. <laughs> I do have quite a few of your jumpers actually that are now mine. Yeah. So that that's kind of what inspired me to ask her about this, you know, how she has such good luck with op shopping. She's currently fitting out her new house with all secondhand finds and like um, Facebook marketplace and side of the road pick up stuff and it's it's just really cool to watch how a it's a process that takes time uh, and b how she makes it work i've got the funniest uh roadside stop uh find ever okay so when my brother was moving into his um <laughs> shared house way back like 15 years ago 20 years ago we we went out via gumtree to get a you know, washing machine, um, and you had to, we had to go and pick it up. It's down in Bondi somewhere in a unit, and we got there, and it's one of those real, you know, old school washing machines, like the drum washing machines. Like I'm not even talking about like top loader. It's a twin tub, wasn't like, it? Like it was like it was 1970s sort of. I feel like it was a twin tub. It was massive. Yeah. And anyway, so we're in this quite a small <laughs> bathroom slash laundry, and we're picking it up. Well, I should say trying to pick it up, straining, and the owner of the house said, oh, it's weird. It only required like two people to bring it in here, and you guys seem to be really struggling with it, and which made us worse. It was so hot. Anyway, we ended up – we couldn't get it out of this apartment. It was too heavy. It would have had to have like put it over our shoulders above the shower. Anyway, disaster. So we're dirty. We're like sweating. You're we're like cranky. really cranky driving back out to the inner west going, we don't have this washing machine. What are you going to do? We get to the top of his street and what do we find? We find a washing machine on the side of the road. <laughs> and let's just say we picked it up put it in the ute, got it back, installed it, and then found out why it was on the side of the road. It was, it didn't work at all. <laughs> so buyer beware, I guess, when you're picking stuff up off the side of the road. Exactly. Yeah. Who'd but have thunk it? It sounds like Anita didn't have that problem. No. Or didn't pick up a washing machine, probably, more she, to the point. She might have been smarter than that. Yeah, sounds it. <laughs> Anyway, I really hope you enjoy it. And uh, as I mentioned last week, you can find all the show notes to all the episodes from this season at slowyourhome.com slash season seven, the number seven. And you can also head out to Anita's website, which is anitavandyke.com. Uh, and she's on Instagram too, Rocket Science. Enjoy.
Jasmine, hello. How are you? I'm well, Brooke. How are you? I'm really well, actually. I have caught my breath. It's been a morning, but I'm 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 doing good. Yeah, I feel you, girl. I feel you. <laughs> we just had a little laugh off off um, before we hit record about life at the moment, which I guess is as good a place as any to jump straight in. Um, it's been such a strange and challenging 18 months. And last we spoke, it was 2018, I think. Mm. So that was when your first book came out. Um, and that was before you became a mum. And were you studying medicine then? Yes, I was. Yeah. yeah, you're right. And it was before the pandemic. Yes. And it was before I was a full-time doctor, which I am now. And it was before motherhood. Mm -hmm. And I think as women, there's always this conversation where motherhood, the cliched factor is that it does change you. And I didn't believe it until I became a mother and it did change me. And my first book was about that conversation of, you know, living a zero waste life. But my second book is about a gentler approach of what it means to be an activist, an environmentalist, and also juggling the burdens of being a parent as well. And I, I only learned that through the journey of motherhood. I don't think there's anything that anyone can say to you pre-parenthood to fully prepare you for the ways that it changes you. You know, you can hear it and you can rationally say, sure, I understand what you're saying. Of course, I'll be different, but I won't be that different. And then it happens and you're like, oh, everything is different. Everything is different. And I think the main difference was I was this type A perfectionist personality trying to live a very zero waste life and trying to do my best in everything, you know, studying medicine in my career. And then all that fell apart when I became a mother. Mm. You can't be a type A personality who schedules in bathroom breaks <laughs> when you have a child because that goes all out the window. Yep. And and this book, uh, I talk about an incident where I call it the plastic straw that broke the camel's back is a true incident where I was sitting in a cafe after a long shift, being in surgery for hours on end. And all I wanted was a green smoothie without a straw. Mm -hmm. And I was very diligent talking to the waiter saying, can I have it without, plastic, without a plastic straw? And he said, yes, we need more people like you. And lo and behold, the green smoothie comes and it has a plastic straw. And I burst into tears. And you would think that that plastic straw was the end of humankind as we spoke. I was sobbing and crying. And, and, and for all those things, the overwhelm that we feel as a mm -hmm. parent, the juggling that we feel that to, to be perfect at everything that we do. And also on top of that, the global issues that we face in our generation being climate change, COVID, plastic pollution, all these things really just took, took a hold of me in that moment. Mm. And it's in that moment I decided to write that book that we have to make sustainability sustainable for you right? That we have to do something that is not just about our own mental health, our family's health, but also an environmental impact that isn't a burden on all the, you know, the, 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 the livelihood struggles that we have at the moment. Yeah. And I think it's a really interesting time. I use interesting in a very fluid sort of way there. Interesting time for people who have the gift of awareness, self-awareness, who are probably highly empathetic, who are paying attention. 
it's a really tough time because there are, as you say, are all of these global collective pressures and urgent issues that, you know, we have varying levels of solutions for varying levels of, you know, policy being made about varying levels of engagement from the wider community. And that's difficult, you know, for people who feel, people who pay attention, people who want to do better and want to see better. And then you add that to life. You know, you add that to the straw that comes in the green smoothie. You add that to, you know, the rough morning that you have. You add that to a personal loss or, you know, an illness. And suddenly these things feel so heavy, so heavy. It's it's so heavy that you don't want to get out of bed in the morning, you know, and I found myself feeling like that last year. Have you experienced that heaviness? Oh, I've experienced that heaviness. And that's why I structured the book into three parts. The first one being self-care. Self-care is so important because if you don't fill your own cup, how can you fill the cup of others, right? You can't look after yourself, then how can you look after others? That's the main thing. The second tier of this book is um, home care. So that home care is like how to stage your home or look after your home or plan your home in a way that is easier for you to look after yourself and your children. And the thirdly is childcare. Childcare is that family care, the ripple effect that you have on how to look after your children and teach them their ways to live in this world and teach them to be caring, you know, environmental activists and also caring adults in the future. So that three tiers is what my book goes through. And I had to think about all those concepts because I was, and as most mothers and most parents are, we put ourselves last on the Mm -hmm. list, right? But if we can't get out of bed in the morning, if we feel that heaviness, that overwhelm seep through to not only our uh, general well-being, but also to the well-being of our family, we can't get anything done. And I think and, it's 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 flipping that, isn't it? Like it's really turning those assumptions, those habits on their head and recognizing that we cannot and will not be able to long-term continue to make an impact, be that in our work, in our families, in you know, our communities, or even further afield than that, if we are completely burnt out. Um, and I, I hope that if if there is silver linings to the last 18 months that we've all been through, it is sort of that recognition that we need to operate on a spectrum. You know, we don't, we, there are many shades in between like the in and the out, the yes and the no, the black and the white. Uh, And I think that that sort of, I, that sense of nuance or um, flexibility, fluidity is really something I've, found myself exploring um because there's going to be times where you know you've got to got more to give and times where you need to retreat absolutely and I think a sign of maturity and it's back to that point we're having you just discussed before the sign of maturity is actually not just seeing things in black and white Mm. so a lot of times in the environmental or zero waste community it's zero waste or nothing it's like black or white right And this book and also the journey that I've gone through is about seeing the greys in between that, you know, sustainability has to be sustainable for you. So there might be moments in your life where you have to have packaged meals and that you have to heat up meals in the microwave or oven because that's just the state of your life at the moment where you're just in survival mode. However, 
There's suggestions of how we can do better in the future, whether it be do some meal prepping and freezing it, right? Or reusing your you know, takeaway containers and washing them out and not just throwing them into the recycling bin. There's gentle ways and there's gray steps in the way that we can all do to make ourselves feel better, okay, eat healthier, do things for the planet, but also maintain the self-care and the survival that we all need at this point in time. And I think that is a sign of maturity that discussing the grays in between is actually way more interesting than looking at the black and white. And I think that hopefully in this post-Trump kind of fake news world that we have gone away from that kind of immature conversation where it's a yes or no or you against us kind of conversation. Now we're into a mode of like, yeah, we're all grown-ups. There's different solutions for different people. And I can talk about composting as a really great example, right? If you don't have a large yard or if you don't have time to maintain a compost, there's grey steps in between that you can do. You can freeze your compost and take it to a local community garden once a week so that you don't have to do any upkeep. You can buy um, a fermenting bin where you can compost, a bokashi bin where you can compost meat and also um, fruits and vegetables at the same time into a, in a composting juice that you can put into your garden. You can have a worm farm. You can go all the way right to to have a, you know chickens if you wanted to and those are the greys that are way more interesting and those fi finding a solution is about finding that spectrum of answers that is right for you and I think that's a way more interesting conversation that we need to have about sustainability than just the black and the white. Oh totally and you know what I hear when we talk about the spectrum and we talk about finding solutions that work for us in our current circumstances is curiosity. Yeah. And I am I love curiosity. I love experimentation. I love, you know, the idea of saying what would happen if, or how much more work would it be to do that? Or how much less work would it be if I made this shift and did this thing uh, and kind of play around with it. And you lose the sense of failure that comes with the black and the white, the, I did it or I failed kind of approach. You know, I tried to have a compost and it, I, I couldn't maintain it. I, experimentation is such a gentler and kind of more fun way I think of approaching some of these these ideas and this and particularly the solutions in your book too because they do exist they do exist on a spectrum you know of accessibility depending on where you're at in your life. I love this concept of experimentation. As a former aerospace engineer, rocket scientist, I love doing little life hacks because in my first book, I call, talk about a concept called creativity within confines, right? You actually have more creativity when there's a boundary of what rules there are. When you start off with a blank page, you actually get kind of overwhelmed with all the different options. But if you say to yourself, hey, I'm going to find a solution that reduces my environmental impact, that has as low waste as possible, is as plastic free as possible, you kind of set these boundaries and then your brain gets ticking and you get creative and you become your own zero waste engineer because you kind of find solutions that are suitable to you. And I think that's a, that's a conversation we all need to have. I love doing that in terms of um, things for my daughter as well. So if she needs something for school or if she's lacking in activities to do at home, I have to go and say, all right, what can we do to not only entertain her, but also reduce my waste and also save some money at the same time? 
So what can we do? We raid the recycling bin. We go through all the cardboard boxes and use our paints and crayons to make, you know, cars and trucks out of it. We cut things out. Uh, we go through our recycling bin and reuse paper from there or cardboard boxes or we reuse jars and make things there. There is It's endless in terms of what you can find in your recycling bin. And if you're like me, your recycling bin is actually not much these days. You can raid your neighbor's recycling <laughs> bin, right? Exactly. Yeah, or your workplace's recycling bin, whatever it may be. Well, try the secondhand economy. My daughter loves puzzles at the moment. So instead of going out and buying a plastic wrap puzzle that she'll use maybe a handful of times, I go and embrace the secondhand economy, such as Facebook Marketplace, and I get a box full of puzzles for, you know, five or $10. So it's about thinking outside um, the box, but in in this case, thinking outside the plastic box, really. Um, and I think it's also making peace with the fact that if you're going to make these changes, it comes with uh, a shift in mentality that needs to be made. And I think that that for the main is convenience, right? It's easy to order something brand new online. It's easy to pop down to the local, you know, big chain store because you know they're going to have the thing that you want. Like that's easy. And sometimes easy is the only option, but if you're looking to make these changes um, and experiment with the changes, it's sort of shifting our mindset about convenience. As um, you're, so you're a full-time doctor, you're a mum, you've just moved house. Uh, what kind of, I guess, tools or, you know, reflection kind of activities do you do to a help you uh, batch those sorts of things so that it's not a constant uh, a constant drain on your time and be to kind of reassess and recognize when, uh, you know, when you probably need to come back to your plan of attack, if that makes sense. Yeah. So the first day of my 30 day guide is aim for effort, not perfection. So it's that mindset shift that you were talking about just then, right? Uh, we we got to just give it a go. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's, it's not even, it's not even aim for progress. And then, you know, it's aimed for actually just a little bit of effort. That's what I like to go for. Give it a go. And if it doesn't work out for you, try to find another solution. So that's the first step, changing your mindset. The second step I like to do is in in part of my like home care kind of um, tier is a thing I call create your own Houston. So as we all know, all the emissions into Apollo missions, Mars missions, there's a Houston that we refer to. So this is like the the workstation where everything comes through. It's your project management station. And I have this in my fridge. It's my Houston. So on my fridge, I have a magnetic Monday to Friday, Monday to Monday to Sunday kind of schedule. And then I have a note section. So on the Monday to Friday, I put in when I'm working, I put in when my husband's working and all of Vivian's activities so that everyone has a centralized visual format of what's happening for the week. And it doesn't have to be too detailed. It just can be like Vivian's out Monday or Vivian has swimming then, mum's out doing night shift then, just so that it takes the brain work of actually repeating those things to your husband or other people who are in the family, right? Takes the brain work out of it. It's all there. 
The second thing is I have a notes section. So this is a running list of pantry list items or shopping list items and also batching errands. Mm. So if you need to go to the post office and Bunnings is next to it, let's batch those errands together. So you're not going to the shops every two to three days to do the same thing such as buy bread and then go to the post office and do this and that. It's about structuring those things so that you can organize your life to be as efficient and smooth as possible. Because I find that in our, you know, in our work life, we structure those things. We have schedules for our work life. We batch things for our work life. We have meetings for our work life. But we don't do that in our home life. And we're treating our home life almost as if it's an endless amount of free time. However, it's not. Mm -hmm. For your own sanity, not not to make you, you know, overly structured, but for your own sanity, if you have those basic structures of what's happening on a weekly basis, things that you need to do in terms of errands that you can batch and do together, it makes your life easier, especially for things such as um, shopping for groceries. You know, women take on a lot of the workload in terms of the home of these kind of menial tasks of even like thinking about how much bread do I need to buy? Is it, is it out of, and these things add up. So if you can distribute that load and take that, that mental load off you and actually just write it down in a physical format, it already helps. Yeah. I think I find that myself, you know, um, Ben and I sit down Monday mornings and we have a whip. Um, so we just go through our diaries for the week when he or I is out, you know, working or uh, some appointment or whatever. Uh, and that alone creates this clarity of mind for the week ahead because as you say you're not trying to keep track of all of that stuff in your head and inevitably if I keep try and keep track of it in my head I will forget something you know I will get distracted I will get waylaid I will get sick something will change and then suddenly I've forgotten the appointment or maybe I run half an hour late for a podcast interview or some such thing Look, we all have those incidents and that's why taking off that mental load is actually really important and sharing that mental load is really important as well, right? And also accepting help when you can. So one thing I talk about in my book is outsourcing things that are really, really a burden to you if you Mm, can, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. Let's just say cleaning for one instance. I do have a cleaner and she comes once a fortnight and you can get a cleaner um, through, you know, uh, Facebook just by asking your friends and family if they need um, to make some extra income or whatnot. This helps helps them and helps you. You can ask for babysitting duties. So you can, you know, share that around in your community and ask for that as well. There's lots of things you can outsource, even things like gardening or mowing that really you don't have the time for, then you should consider outsourcing those as well. Mm. Um, Not only are you supporting your local community, but also you're helping that person who may need the extra income as well. And also you're giving yourself the luxury of having a rest for a few hours that you need to, just so that you don't have to be constantly being the person, you know, running the household cleaning and doing all those things nonstop. I think that that's also a really nice sort of entry point into the conversation about community, you know, because uh, there are opportunities or there can be opportunities if you're happy to have the conversation about mutually beneficial uh, kind of setups. So let's say uh, my sister and I did this when our kids were both really little, we would 
take each other's kids one day a week or one day a fortnight so that one of us would have a day to do whatever needed to be done, whether it be work-related, whether it be going and doing things, you know, that we didn't want to take the kids to do, appointments, that sort of stuff. And it made such a difference, partly because of the time it freed up, you know, to have those five or six hours uh, one day a fortnight was I genuinely looked forward to them so much, as much as I love my kids. Uh, But also to have that conversation with someone else to say, yeah, it's hard and I'm kind of struggling here. I understand that you're in a similar situation, so let's help each other out, you know, and I think that those, those conversations can really develop relationships and whether it is family or friends or in the wider community, do you think that, you know, I guess a certain level of vulnerability is important when we're having these conversations? Oh, I think being a parent exposes you to your vulnerabilities, whether you like it or not. Um, Your children are your biggest mirrors, I think. Mm. They give, they reflect back to you your insecurities, your vulnerabilities, and also the things that are great about you as well, your strengths. Um, And this concept of a community is so important. I've been reflecting a lot on this ever since I became a mother because, you know, that saying, it takes a village to raise a child is so true. Um, In Asian communities, so I'm Chinese-Australian, there is an intergenerational kind of acceptance that the grandmother, the aunties, everyone is involved in rearing a child and there's no sense of burden or obligation. It's just a done thing. However, I find that in the Western world, we've actually had to create our own communities because this kind of intergenerational also sharing of care, sharing of knowledge is is seemingly lost. You know, there's no kind of, really do you see three or four generations going out to lunch or going to the beach? Whereas for me, I've actually embraced that part of my culture now, the Chinese-ness in me, where I have my mum and dad in my home almost on a daily or second daily basis where they're going out with Vivian. We're all going out together as a family or they're looking after Vivian whilst I run the errands or go to work or things like that. And it's that sharing of intergenerational care and knowledge that I think is actually really important because research has shown now that peers look towards their own peers as role models with social media and everything that's arrived. But it's actually kind of like the blind leading the blind. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) you know, if you're 16 and you're a role model towards another 16 year old, what kind of role model, you know, morals are you sharing there? Right. But if you're sharing that intergenerational, like, you know, a 65 year old is sharing their knowledge with a 30 year old who's sharing their knowledge with their 16 year old, or, you know, all those generations, or even four generations, Mm. you know, the great grandparents as well. How much more fruitful is that? It's a more kind of dynamic visualization of the world that we live around us, that it's not just this linear that everyone else is the same as me, right? And I think it's also, I mean, looking at the disposability of stuff in today's society, looking at most of us don't know how to sew on a button. Most of us don't know the benefits of going op shopping and finding something that's really well constructed that's going to last 20 years because we've never been role modeled that sort of those sort of choices. And to have the wisdom and the knowledge of previous generations is something that the vast majority of people um, in Western culture really do not 
benefit from. Um, like I look back in my own family and, uh, you know, my grandmother, she had eight children. So she made a lot of their clothes. She did a lot of the, you know, the housework. My dad, my granddad worked on the railways. Um, and my mum took some of that and she made my two older sisters clothes. But by the time I was born 10 years later, it was sort of lost because it was much easier, more convenient to go and buy the things that she needed for my sister and I, um, you know, and I spend so much time thinking about what I would love to have asked my nan about before she passed, you know, and like some of those really old school ways of doing things have a lot of relevance in today's society, I think, particularly as we're trying to minimize waste, particularly as we're trying to, uh, you know, simplify the ways that we eat and the ways that we consume things. Uh, yeah. And I think there's just so much gold there. And I love, I love that you are role modeling to your daughter, what it looks like to accept that help too. I think it's so important. I think more than that, I think we're losing that kind of, we have a reverence in Western society for youth, mm. right? There's a real, you know, the look younger and being younger is actually sexier than having wisdom and knowledge and being an elder in the community, right? And a lot of traditional cultures, such as Aboriginal cultures, even Eastern cultures, have that reverence of um, our elders mm. because they're passing on down knowledge that is really important. Like you say, there are certain things that transcend time and place, right? Your grandparents parents might not be savvy with, you know, your smartphone, but they're incredibly savvy about how to grow vegetables, how to not waste food, how to be, um, be frugal and reuse things. And it's this, it's this loss of knowledge. It's because there's no reverence of the elder mm. anymore. And I think it's really important that we go back to that, that we, we don't lose the kind of the sexiness of being an elder in the community, right? right. Yeah, exactly. They've been through war, famine, you know, their own ups and downs in their lives. We should be learning from them. There's so much knowledge that is just sitting around there and we're losing it because there's too much reverence on being young. Right. And it's sort of, you know, the mentality of, well, whatever you've been through in your life is not relevant to me. Mm. Um, and, you know, you see it in, in the approaches to aged care and, uh, you know, just our overall um, perspective on what it is to age. It's something, as you say, to avoid, to delay at all costs. And then once it's inevitable to just kind of shuffle off to the side and don't, don't bother us with your, you know, irrelevant view on the world, your outdated view on the world. I, it's devastating to me, you know, that we're losing that connection. And I think that I had a conversation uh, a couple of days ago about regeneration and that keeps coming to me as we're having this conversation, like the very real sense of regenerating through the generations and, mm. and to kind of dig into what they have to offer, to offer us in terms of wisdom and knowledge uh, that could very well be part of the solution to so many of the problems that are facing us now. 
Well, much like women is an untapped resource in the workforce, our older generations is an untapped resource. We should not think of people as, you know, there's lots of research going around that neuroplasticity goes on until until you die. Mm. You know, there's no such thing as not being able to learn. Your brain keeps learning and you can reformat your brain at any age. And I think that, you know, our elder generation, as we grow older, is an untapped resource that we need to make fruitful again. Yeah, I agree. Um, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit and talk to you about your career in medicine, because um, I've had a lot of experience with spending time in hospitals recently with my dad being so unwell. Uh, And I've always had a huge amount of respect for people who work in medical professions, nurses and doctors and surgeons and ICU specialists. Um, But seeing now the toll that the kind of work that these people do day in and day out Um, has given me so much more respect for the work that you all do. How do you find a kind of um, peace with the fact that that is just an imbalanced sort of way of being? You know, do you tilt all the way into work and kind of compartmentalise or do you have ways of approaching um, the, the stresses of work? Oh, Brooke, this is such a conversation that's so relevant to me at the moment. As a junior doctor, my hours are pretty ridiculous Mm -hmm. and the emotional toll that you embark on because you are really the the you know at the bottom of the rung as a junior doctor and you do all the physical labor the admin labor and also you take on a lot of the emotional labor as well because you're often the person the patient that sees the most right and you're also the often the person that you know that sees the patient first, Mm. especially in emergency as well. And I think I can, I never really understood burnout until I became a doctor and I totally understand what it is like now. And I have so much empathy and compassion for my colleagues, whether it be nurses, ward staff or doctors themselves, because we take on people at the most vulnerable and in their worst state right? So they're not going to be pleasant to deal with in the first place because they're they're sick. But also at the same time, on top of that, we take on um, their emotional journey and we take on their family's journey as well. And on top of that, we're doing procedures that are very complicated and very time consuming and, ta- and is mentally and physically taxing. So currently I'm working in emergency and I work 10 hour shifts, but it ends up being a little bit more sometimes because you're trying to cater to patients' needs. And I often see so many patients in, an, um, in, in that shift that you take on as an emotional person, maybe 20 people's families and their own emotions themselves in a very difficult time. So you can imagine the emotional to- toll that takes. So for me, I have to be honest with you, I am struggling in terms of finding that tilt or the balance. For me at the moment, the thing that really works is compartmentalizing. Mm -hmm. So like you say, on the days that I work, I just work. I don't respond to emails. I don't do anything else. I just work. So that will be the 10-hour shift. I come home. I spend time with my family, eat and go to bed. 
on the days that I don't work, I compartmentalize certain periods. So this morning, I'm doing a podcast interview with you. I'm going to take some photos for a collaboration. I'm going to reply to um, some work things that I need to do for my Instagram. And then in the afternoon, I'm going to take my daughter out to the beach and we're going to enjoy an afternoon together. And there's no touching of work, right? So compartmentalizing and making those times really sacred, but also having buffer zones Mm -hmm. in between them, Mm -hmm. right? So we can't over schedule ourselves so you know we do this often right on a Saturday we take our kids to swimming and then they might have a birthday party and then a sleepover and then we have people over for dinner or whatever there's no buffer right there's no buffer to stop recalibrate and just rest so by putting in those buffer zones whether it be an hour after each activity or even blocks of time after each activity it allows you to actually prize those activities more and also recuperate at the same time so I think that's really important for me Mm. and I think going forward I am trying to find that balance with everything and I I think I'm going to have to drop down to part-time work because I I am struggling with the full-time nature of not only juggling everything as it is but also putting my own needs first as well. I mean, it's it's huge. It's almost an insurmountable task to divide that time up where, uh, you know, the asks of your time and energy add up to more hours than exist. You know? So I think it's really, um, really heartening and kind of um, I'm really grateful for you being honest about that because it can be quite simple to look at someone like yourself who has had a really fascinating kind of career trajectory so far, um, who has written a number of books, who is a wonderful parent, who is, you know, someone who champions lower waste living and who has a fantastic secondhand wardrobe, by the way, Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and to sort of like imagine that somehow you tap into this this suite of tools that most of us don't have access to when the reality is, A, you're very intentional with your time, but B, it does take a toll. So, you know, I think that for people listening who find themselves in a very demanding career, it would be really validating to hear you talk about that and also the importance of those transition periods. Absolutely. And I think I love that concept of tilt, which you always talk about, but also that in this season of my life, it's about hustling yeah. because in this season of my life, I am a junior doctor. I have to get my accreditation. I just want to do that. And then that way I can do other things. Yeah. So I do have to hustle. But then I know that in when I don't have to hustle, don't you worry, I will be relaxing. <laughs> I'm glad <laughs> as, to hear it. <laughs> as, as the A-type personality as I am, I'll be as relaxing in my perfectionistic you know, lifestyle as it is. I will be relaxing as much as I can. Like, you know, I will be in that bath with the bubble bath with the candles and no one will be interrupting mama with her cocktail in the bath all right Good. I'm glad you've got a plan that makes me really happy yes. yes so but it's it's really true I think um as women and as parents we always put ourselves last mm. and we neglect the self-care that we need to maintain a household to do the work that we need to do there is a time to hustle but there's also a time to rest yeah. right and we need to have that balance so that we can live fulfilling lives because if you're constantly hustling, you will burn out, your health will suffer, your mental health will suffer. 
if your if your mental health isn't suffering, your physical body will tell you yes. otherwise, right? There'll be something, you'll get a rash, you have tummy pains, you have bowel problems, whatever it may be, your body will know. Your body keeps score. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that great book that your body keeps score. It will tell you. When you do have time to rest, make sure you rest fully, mm. all right? You, resting doesn't have to involve a yoga class, Pilates, and then a long walk by the beach. It, it, you know, you don't have to make a list for resting. You can just sit on your bed and do nothing. <laughs> exactly. And I think we've got this mentality that our downtime needs to be productive too. You know, exactly. And if, if, if you find those activities rejuvenating wonderful but it's not a necessity you know I think that embracing the lost art of idleness is really important and something that I've experimented with over the last year or two and I I mean I'm someone who's written about slow living and tilting and all that kind of stuff for years and I still found it really difficult but I also found it really um, surprisingly rewarding in learning how to just be, whether that is just sitting in a coffee shop and people watching, you know, no phones, no nothing, just kind of observing or, you know, watching the sun come up or whatever it might be, laying on your bed, staring at the ceiling. There is, um, there is, there are things happening to you internally when you're resting and they are things that are really important, um, you know, and they are so often neglected. And I think you, I think the only time that we can actually rest is sometimes when we schedule it in. Yeah. I mean, how sad is that? So as an aerospace engineer, we used to schedule downtime for our aircraft where even our aircraft had time to rest, recuperate and get maintenance that they need, right? And then there was flight time where they just flew. We as humans don't schedule in flight time, right? Um, I mean, downtime. We schedule in flight time, right? There's plenty of that. We have KPIs, performance indicators, you know, grades, um, you know, statistics, number of followers, number of buyers. All those are kind of flight time productive kind of time that is actually measured quite well. But no one measures downtime. Mm. No one measures how many hours you're actually resting and resting well right? Because in our society, downtime is not valued. Downtime means you're not productive. Downtime means that you're resting and doing nothing, right? But when really this nothingness, this idleness is actually when your creativity flows, when your body rests and recuperates and allows you to regenerate those ideas and, and allows you to do the things that you do in your flight time. Well, exactly. And that's the bit that I think we're missing in the conversation is that it is a necessity. I mean, if machines need downtime, we aren't machines. So machines need downtime. We certainly do. Uh, And I think that, again, to kind of shift that conversation away from, you know, and this may or may not be helpful for people, but I find it is certainly, um, I guess, an enlightening way of looking at it for some people who struggle to rest give it purpose. You know, there is purpose to rest and that purpose is rejuvenation, uh, you know, regeneration of spirit or energy or um, clarity of mind or whatever it may be. And those things can then help you to continue to do the things that, uh, you know, you do in your own flight time. Yeah, that's right. And one of my great tips that I really love, and I tell this to my patients as well, is actually really good sleep hygiene. Mm-hmm. And I think you've talked about this as well. One of the great things I like to do is when I come home, I create a tech bed. So it's labeled tech bed and it says we all need a rest. And I put all my gadgets, right? My phone, my laptop, my uh, you know iPad, whatever it may be. Everyone's gadgets go in the tech bed 
and it has a rest. We all have a rest from it. So when we're home, we're intentional with our time. We're not on our phones, juggling a lot of things. We're not looking at screens. We all have a rest. And that tech bed could just be for a couple of hours a day. It could be for when, you know, just before you go to sleep or definitely during your sleep, you Mm. should not be having any devices in your bedroom. Leave it out of there. If you use it as an alarm clock, get an old-fashioned alarm clock, right? It's $5. You can get one up the op shop for $2 probably and just use that instead. You don't need devices when you sleep. Um, No, I agree 100%. And I think that um, what you're doing is also role modeling that to your daughter, you know, because she will grow up in a world that I'm assuming is going to be just as if not more tech connected than it is now and she will be surrounded by peers who have you know almost unlimited access to their tech and that will seem normal so for her to have the example that you're setting in your home that in fact we do need time away from these devices and not only do we need time away for our mental health but also that time where we're off our devices is time that we get to spend together you know that shows her what stands on the other side of putting the screen down, you know, and I think so often those lines get blurred so much that, you know, we, we think that what is on the screen is the only version of, of real life or the only version worth paying attention to. So I think it's really important um, what you guys are doing. Thank you. Thank you. I also wanted to briefly ask you before we go about your, um, your success with secondhand shopping. You seem to be phenomenal at finding really great pieces of clothing, furniture, you know, homewares, toys for your daughter. Do you have any tips? Okay. I think the first thing is write a list of things that you need, right? Don't shop for the sake of shopping. Be intentional about it. The second thing I like to do is actually create a Pinterest board of neutral colors or colors that you may like. It doesn't have to be neutral or a general look that you're going for and aim for those. So luckily in my home, I really like whites and creams and browns and grays. So they're very neutral colors that you can find almost anywhere. So that's that's a key tip. Same with my wardrobe um, for each season. And this is a fun thing to do. And you can do this for your older children as well. Create a Pinterest board that shows what you want to look like for that season or what you're inspiring to, you know, what's, what's looking fashionable. And then that way it inspires you to go shopping for those items as well. So then when I go shopping, I have those images at the back of my head for the vision and the look that I want so that I'm not just shopping for the sake of shopping. I'm just not looking for a bargain for because it's a bargain, right? I'm very intentional about it. And my third tip is to look for quality brands that stand the test of time, right? If you've done your research and you know what fits you in terms of, you know, materials. So like in winter, I love buying cashmere and wool. And traditionally, old-fashioned wool and cashmere stands the test mm-hmm. of time and they and they cost next to nothing at the op shop because they're old right so I I look for those quality materials I look for brands that really suit me so you know there's a, some Australian designers that really fit me well such as Carla Zimpati, Bianca Spender a lot of good brands that Australian made that also stand the test of time so I look for those in the search results as well So if you look in your wardrobe now and you look at all the items that fit you well, 
that have stood the test of time, make a note of those brand names and the sizing, and then look for those in those search functions and look for them regularly. You can save for them, you can save them as a search item so that whenever something new pops up, you can have a look at it and also be discerning about it. If it's not on the list, don't get it. If it's not part of the Pinterest board or the color scheme that you're going for, don't get it. But if it is, snap it up, right? It's a bargain to be had. So for me, it's um, it's about that intentionality and having forward planning and also having a neutral basics and then putting pops of color of, of things that you may like on top is, 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 is my foundation. It works very well because I love looking at your Instagram photos whenever you highlight, you know, something that you've found over the last little while uh, and it, you always look fantastic. So um, oh, thank you. No, and, and I think anyone can look fantastic by simplifying, yeah. being intentional and also just embrace the circular economy. There's Facebook Marketplace now, eBay. There's also all the major charities have online stores now. So Salvo's online, you know, there's Lifeline online. There's so many things that are online that is available to you now. So it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's circular economy or the secondhand economy is the gro- biggest growing economy in terms of fashion. And you can see why, because mm-hmm. there is a, such a surplus. So let's embrace it. Totally. And do you do most of your secondhand shopping online or do you go into physical stores? I do a bit of both because um, I have some great thrift stores where I li- live, cl- where I live. And I also like to go to the markets as well. Um, but I like to do it online because as a shift worker, um, you know, that's the, the, sometimes the only choice I get, you know, to look online, but also allows you to be intentional again. You know, there is a thrill of the hunt when you're out about and looking for things, which is great, but also it can be excessive. Like if you don't need it, you shouldn't be buying it. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's just a, uh, it, it's attaching that overall theme of simplicity to, you know, to even to secondhand shopping. It's, it's very easy, I think, to get caught, as you say, in the thrill of the hunt um, and lose sight of what the initial, uh, you know, reason was. Yeah. And I think quality over quantity is the key term there, right? You can buy lots of cheap things, but what they won't last stand the test of time. And certainly it does look cheap and nasty in the long run, right? It doesn't, it might not suit you. It might be too trendy. It might be too too flashy, but if you aim for those quality neutrals in your home and your furniture and your clothing, they will stand the test of time and you can adjust it to trends of the time by adding a snazzy scarf or a fabulous brooch or Uh, you know a great little handbag or something to make it more trendy or fashionable to that season yeah very very good advice um from a very very well-dressed woman thank you thank you you're too kind (laughs) Uh, so i i guess i just want to finish up by thanking you for the overall tone and um approach to your second book which is um how to uh, zero waste family in 30 days because it, and I know we've spoken about this at length throughout our conversation, but it really is so warm and so open um, and inviting, you know, and encouraging. And it also really goes to great lengths to, to let anyone reading it feel okay with wherever they are in their journey, whether that is just beginning, like maybe this is the first zero waste book someone's picked up, they feel welcome, you know, but it's also full of really helpful small tips and adjustments for people who perhaps have been on this path for a while. Uh, And it's all covered with um, an invitation to just put the perfectionism away 
you know, and it's a, it's really real and really human. And I, I'm so grateful to you for writing it in that way. Oh, I thank you so much. I feel really, I really feel really humbled listening to that because sometimes you put a book out in the universe and especially in this COVID world, you, you, you might not get the response, the physical response that you need to see if it's actually resonating with people. And I think that's, I, I'm really glad that you see that what I want from this book is that we can all be everyday activists. We can all be environmentalists, but it has to be sustainable for you right? And it has to be a journey that you embrace with a sense of fun, creativity, and a sense of style, sense of sexiness. Like, let's make eco-friendly living sexy, right? You know, that's what I really want this to be about, that it welcomes everyone, that it doesn't have to look like a black and white version of what we think it has to look like, and it can be adjusted to suit your life. Yeah, 100%. Um, so congratulations on putting it out in a really challenging time too. Like that's a hard time to launch a book. Oh, I feel you girl. (laughs) You're launching a book now and I'm sure you understand, right? It's hard. It's a challenging time. Like things change all the time with COVID restrictions and, you know, limited people in in in-person appearances. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah, no, well done. I'm really, I'm proud of you if that's okay for me to say. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Anita, thank you so much. Um, Now, where can people learn more about you and the work that you do in Zero Waste Community? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram where I'm at at rocket underscore science. And I'm also at anitavandyke.com. And my first book, A Zero Waste Life, is out. And also my second book, A Zero Waste Family, is out. So any of those books, you can find them at most good bookstores and come find me. And I'm going to link to everything that we spoke about today in the show notes too. But thank you for your time um, and enjoy the rest of your day and take care. Same to you, my friend. Thank you. Take care. Pass.